Yivamos, Perk Yud Aleph, Mishnah Hay 11.5, and this Mishnah will discuss another scenario of babies getting mixed up. Here we have a household that belongs to Kohanim, and Mrs. Cohen one night gives birth to a baby boy, and that very same night, the Shifcha Kananis, the slave woman who lives in the home with them, part of their household, she also has a baby boy, and those two babies get mixed up. Which means these two children each have the status of maybe being an Evid Kanani, not even a full-blown Jew, or being a Kohen. So our Mishnah will lay out all the various halachas that apply to these mixed-up children. Now just before I begin, I'll just remind you there are two very basic overarching principles that govern Sveikos on certain situations, which will come to bear in numerous of the clauses here in our Mishnah. One is that the rule is Safik Doraisa Lachumra, when one is not sure about a situation where potentially a Doraisa, a Torah level prohibition, is going to be crossed, violated. So then the rule is always Lachumra, you have to be strict and um, assume, assume the worst, meaning be as strict as possible um, to ensure that you don't cross, contravene that uh, Doraisa. The second rule is that when it comes to Sveikos, uncertain situations that regard uh, money, to whom the money might belong. So the rule is, Hamotzi mechavero alav haraya. If one's intending to take money from another person, the burden of proof, the onus is on the one who's exacting the money, who's trying to take the money out from its status quo. So in a situation of a real suffix, where there's an embedded uncertainty which can't be resolved, so the rule will always be, the money stays in the possession of the one who currently has it, um, because it won't be able to get the possibility of bringing a proof that it should leave their hands. Okay, so that's the backstory here. Now the mission says inside. Kohenes, you have a Kohen woman, Shinis Arav Vlada Bevlad Shivchasa. Her newborn male child gets mixed up with the newborn male child of her Shivcha, of her slave. So now, first of all, Hare Elu Ochlim Betruma. The good news is, these boys, although their identity is mixed up, both may eat truma. The reason why is because even when it comes to a certain evid, so an evid, a slave, is allowed to eat truma if he is owned and part of, therefore part of the household of his master, who's a Kohen. The Torah specifically says that the Kohen ki nefesh kinyan kaspohu yochobo, that a person who was acquired in his personhood as a slave to a Kohen, that person, the slave, may eat of the Kohen's food, meaning of the truma. So therefore, since both, whether he this boy in question is a Kohen or an Ebed, who's owned by the Kohen's father, it doesn't matter, both are allowed to eat truma. Says the mission further, V'cholkim chelek echad begorin. They, literally the words mean they take one portion at the threshing floor, but that's not what it means. What it means is that they have to go ke'echad together as a single unit, both of them together, to collect truma at the threshing floor. Now what's the backstory here is that a there's Rabbi Yehudas, who's the Tana Bar Mishnah, this is a Shita, holds that there's a separate Isr de Rabbanan, a prohibition against an Eved, a non-Kohen, collecting truma at the threshing floor, even on behalf of his Kohen family. 
who's called masters. That's permit. That's forbidden, says Rabbi Huda. And the reason why is because where Rabbi Huda lived, so um, they took it as proof positive that a person was a Kohen if he was wont to collect truma um, from the you know from the threshing floors. The fact that he went to collect truma indicates clearly he was a, it was a Kohen, which should have implications on you know his yichus if this guy was the grandfather. We know the status of the grandson, etc. So therefore, Rabbi Huda understands that there's a prohibition against non-Kohanim collecting truma at the threshing floor, the Gorin. It's not specifically the threshing floor. It means wherever they're distributing the truma. Because um, then people think that this Kohen, excuse me, that this Eved, the slave, is actually a Kohen. So because of that, there's a dinder button that an, a slave can't go by himself, and therefore they have to go together. So the two of them will go together and collect truma. Uh, what the Mishnah does not mean is they only get one portion for the two of them. When a person has truma to distribute, he may give it Loosely speaking, however he wants, and in whatever, you know, quantities he wants. So that means just hypothetically, this guy had a thousand buckets of wheat as his harvest. And a Benoni, a regular average person, gives one-fiftieth to, to, um, as Truma Godola. So a fiftieth of a thousand would be twenty. So he's got twenty buckets of, of wheat kernels to give to Kohanim. And let's say hypothetically his policy is he gives one bucket to each Kohan who comes to his door. He doesn't have to. He can give it every once. But let's say that's his policy. One bucket per Kohen. And these two guys show up together. Um, the Kohen and his and his uh, counterpart slave, but we don't know who's who. So when they go knock on the door and collecting their, their, you know, their truma, the Mishnah is not saying he should only give them one bucket. That would be Cholkin Echad, Chelik Echad Begorn. They get one portion within two of them. It doesn't mean that. There's no problem at all with this guy giving two buckets to the two of them. So again, the point of the mission is that when they go collect their buckets, whether one or two, they have to do it together. So there's no one. There's always a Kohen present. Okay. Further says the Mishnah: mitamin These boys may not expose themselves to corpse tuma tumas mace. That's an Isra Oraisa for a Kohen to do. And since we don't know one of them, which one is a Kohen, both have to be um, as a suffix Doraisa lachomer. They have to make sure they don't become tummy in either one of them. Tumas mace specifically. And these boys may not get married to any woman. They simply can't get married. Why? Because the set of women that a that an Evid can marry um, does not include Jewish women. They can't marry regular Jewish women. Okay? Um, and because they're not really fully born Jews. And the set of women that a Kohen can marry is a limited set, but it's all it's some subset of Jewish women. They can't marry non-Jewish women. Since there's no overlap at all, these guys, maybe they're Evid, maybe they're Cohen, therefore maybe they have to marry a Jew, maybe they have to marry a non-Jew. They can't marry anybody. Bank Sheras, Bank Sulos. It doesn't matter whether they're full-blown kosher Jewish women we're talking about, or they're like, you know, Sulos, like for example, Puzzle to Kohanim, like for example, a Mamzeris or a Halala or a Grusha. It doesn't matter. Since either, every woman is either forbidden to be married by the Cohen or by the, by the, um, the Evid, so there's no woman that they could marry. Higdilu hatarovus, but when they grow up, so now this is like kind of part two of the Mishnah, so then each one should emancipate the other. That is to say, we actually can, if there's just, in a scenario where the son now inherits the assets of the father, so now including the assets is the slave, so that means one of these guys owns the other one. Okay, so they can actually be forced to, each one can be forced to emancipate the other one, besides the fact that it's in their mutual best interest. Um, but actually, it's an obligation for them to get married and have children. That's a mitzvah on every man. And since um, 
that's since we, they can't do that mitzvah until they have shechrur, until they have emancipation, each one can, should, must emancipate the other. At which point, once you have a slave who has been emancipated, so now he is a he was a Evid Kanani, but now he is a full-blown Jew in every sense of the term. And therefore, he's, you have one Kohen and one, you know, regular Jew uh, mixed up, and therefore the rules kind of change. So once this rules changed, what happens? First of all, nosim nashim ru'uyas lekahuna. They now can get married, um, but they only can get married to women who are permitted to Kohanim. In other words, a regular Jew can marry any, I'll call it Jewish woman. A Kohen can only marry a Jewish woman, but there's certain women he can't marry. Specifically four categories. They're kind of old news to us, but I'll review them again. They can, a Kohen cannot marry a Grusha, a divorcee, nor a Chalutza, a woman who did a Chalitza, because she's like rabbinically like a divorcee, nor a Zona, a woman who participated in any uh, forbidden act, any, any forbidden union at any time that the Torah prohibits, so she becomes a Zona. Um, and like really a subset of that, but also is the Giores, the convert, Converted women can't marry Kohanim. And finally, the Chalala, a woman who was, you know, she was in a forbidden union with a Kohen or the child of a Kohen that was from a forbidden union, so that child is a Chalal or a Chalala. Um, and uh, that being the case, this woman, now that she's done something wrong or was born from this forbidden union, can't marry a Kohen. So the point is, these boys can only marry Jewish women that aren't any of those categories. Ve'enimitam and the Mesim. They, furthermore, they're not allowed to become, still they can't become Tamil Mace, they can't expose themselves to corpse tuma. But if they do, they won't be punished. Literally, it means they won't absorb the 40. This is a reference to the fact that when one violates an Isidoraisa with two witnesses and warning, etc., the consequences typically for generic prohibition alav is malchus, lashes for the court, and the lashes are up to 39, meaning 40 minus 1. Lashes. So when the Torah wants to, when the Mishnah wants to refer to lashes administered on a Doraista as opposed to Durban level, it refers to them as Sofkin as Harbaim. So the point is, since we don't know whether this person was prohibited from becoming Tame or not, even though he acted wantonly and became Tame, you know, brazenly, so that's amazing, and there are witnesses and they warn him, even so, it doesn't matter, he won't get punished, because maybe he was a Kohen and maybe he wasn't a Kohen. Um, the Mishnah is repeating itself in some way. The Tosas asked, wait a second. So a couple answers are given. Um, why I would have said twice in the Mishnah that they can't become Tamil the Mace. Um, Tosas' answer is that there's a difference when they're a child. Of course, there's no punishment, so therefore there's no possibility of saying um, that they should be lashed. But now that they're grown-ups, the Mishnah makes the point. Tavares Shal gives a different answer. Okay, Sham. Ve'in And now, neither boy can eat truma. Why? Because when the Slave was a slave and owned by a Kohen, so the rule is both Kohen and slave can eat. But now that he's been freed, one of them are an emancipated slave. That guy's just a regular Yisrael, not a Kohen, a czar, a non-Kohen, and therefore one is and one isn't a Kohen, and therefore neither one can eat truma because it's a suffix. Vim achlu, if they do eat truma, enen meshalman keren v'chomesh. So, we just said if they eat it intentionally, they won't get punished. Um, oh, sorry, we said that by the... Oh, sorry, I mixed them to Israel. That We said that the rule is, of course, that if they eat wantonly, um, the mazed, truma, that's bad. Um, but the courts down here won't punish them because maybe they're permitted to do so. It's again Suffolk. But the rule is when a person eats truma bishogeg, meaning he didn't intend to eat the truma, but he did anyways. It was inadvertent, his violation. Okay, so now the consequences are he has to do two things. First of all, he has to do 
a payback Karen. He has to reimburse the Cohen for what he ate that was did belong to him. And that really is true for anybody. If I break into your house and eat your cornflakes, then I have to pay you back for the cornflakes. So that's just the Karen part. But in addition, there's a, a chiv of Chomesh. A person who inadvertently, Beshogeg, eats Truma, not only does he have to give a Kohen the value of what he ate him and give new, he also has to be Mosef a Chomesh, add 25% more, meaning for every four cups of Truma wine he drank, he has to now pay back a fifth cup. So he'll basically bring a regular cup of wine, which will then be given to Kohen as Truma and treated as Truma Midrabanan. So that doesn't apply to these two guys. If these two guys eat a, drink a cup of Truma wine, since maybe it was permitted, maybe not, they have no obligation to return Chomesh to, or even Karen to reimburse any of it at all, because maybe they're entitled to it as Kohanim. One of them is a Kohen. Ve'en cholken al hagoren, and now they should not be given any truma at the threshing floor, um, because they can't eat it, and each one may not be a kohen. Umochen esa truma v'hadamim shelahem. If one of these guys owns a farm, and the farm produces wheat or whatever, so there's a mitzvah to do the proper tithes. A kohen has to tithe his produce as well. Now. He'll have to give whatever to the levy to levy, but as far as the truma goes, the Kohen is allowed to keep it for himself. So let me just say that in different words. The Kohen is required to tithe his produce, so if he, until he tithes his produce, it's called tevel, it's forbidden to be eaten. So he would separate out the truma gadola, but he can eat that truma gadola afterwards as a Kohen. So the point here is this, these guys can't eat their truma gadola because maybe they're not a Kohen. So what they can do is they can sell it to another Kohen. Only Kohanim can get truma gadola, but they're permitted to sell it. And if they get money for that sale, they can keep the money. Even though Kohen maybe why should I have to pay you if it's not yours in the first place? Maybe it is. So a motzim chaver If they have money in their pocket to get out of their pocket and get the, the reimbursement of the Kohen, can't happen unless the Kohen could really you know bring proof that they're not Kohenim after all. But of course the proof can be brought, and therefore they can keep their money. So they're not allowed to get a portion of the sanctified stuff from the base of Megdash. This is referring to things like, for example, you know, like kind of like the parting gifts that Kohanim who are on duty in the base of Megdash get. So, for example, the most prominent thing is the Oros, the hides. When a Kadshe Kadshem are offered as a Zevach, so an Ola, a Chatas, an Asham, so they offer the meat and maybe they'll burn the meat also, or whatever they'll do with the meat, eat the meat depending, but the hides are never burned. They're given to the Kohanim. They make, you know, whatever. They make leather car seats and, you know, you know, whatever they could do with the, the hides. So the point is, these guys, since they may not be Kohanim, are not entitled to get any of these hides. They shouldn't be given to them. The Yeah. The Lehem Kachim. And Kachim shouldn't be given to them. Sanctified objects. So what's this? This, according to the Bartanura, is you shouldn't give them Kachim to be makrib. You shouldn't give them offerings to, like, offer on your behalf, because maybe they're Kohanim. Rashi, that's based on the first shot. And Rashi, Rashi's second shot, which the Bartanura does not bring, is that um, if you're giving things that have kedusha that are not part of kadshe hamikdash, as the previous clause was, like for example a bechor, a firstborn male animal, firstborn male male animal, cow, goat, sheep, um, so it's given to a kohen. Don't give it to these guys. Or similarly, you can give if a person gives something called cherem, it's like a gift, but instead of baking it to the base of mikdash, he designates it to a to be given to a Kohen, so it shouldn't be given to these guys. 
And um, if they have, like for example, this guy has a Bechor, so he won't take it from, we won't force him to give it over, because maybe he is a Kohen and keep it. Since he's a Suffolk, what'll happen is he'll basically have to let give this Bechor animal, which has some Kedusha, this firstborn male cow, goat, or sheep. He gives it to the shepherd. The shepherd would, um, like, you know, let it graze until it develops some sort of, um, um, Mum, as the Mish will say in a few moments, like a blemish, and then you can eat it. More than that in a moment. Upatur min Zrol min min keva. These fellows are exempt from giving the gifts of Zrol l'chayim and keva. Normally, for any non-Kohen, when he butchers just chulin, regular meat, cow, goat, or sheep, so he's supposed to give, as a gift to the Kohanim, the Zroa, the right foreleg of the cow, the lechayim, it's kind of cheeks and tongue of the cow or sheep, etc. And the keva. Keva is one of the stomachs, one of the four stomachs in the ruminant's digestive tract, and it's useful for making cheese, etc. The point is that that keva, abomasum in English, is given um, to the kohen as well. But these have no intrinsic kedusha, no sanctity to them. They're just they're just like a gift, a financial gift, and they're supposed to be given to kohanim. But it, the kohen, unlike truma, where a non-kohen can't eat it. Um, a non-Kohen is permitted to eat the Zerul HaChayim and Keva. It's just a matter of being a gift, like a financial bo- bonus to the Kohen, which would mean, just to speak it out here. If, you know, if you're you're not a Kohen, but your next-door neighbor, the Kohen, invites you for Shabbos dinner, he could not serve you his Truma wine because you can't drink it. But he could serve you, you know, Zerul steaks or, you know, L'chayim. He could give you, you know, tongue, pickle tongue from a L'chayim that he got. That would be permitted. Um, you could eat it, even as a non-Kohen. So the point here for Mishnah is... They don't have to give their Zerol Lachayim and Keva because they can eat it themselves. It maybe belongs to the Kohen, maybe not, but since Suffolk, it's a Suffolk, and about some Machaver Lavarai, they can keep it for themselves. Ubechoro, as for their firstborn um, cow, goat, or sheep that has status of being a Bechor, I started getting this before, Yehei Roa Achi Yistaev, so they would just let it graze, because it has Kedusha, until it gets a, a blemish, what's called a Mum Kavua, a blemish that won't go away. And at that point, the animal's been downgraded to having to being chulin, non-sanctified. And of course, it can't be brought as an offering because it has a permanent blemish. And therefore, these guys can essentially make a barbecue and eat it um, yeah, at home. They can eat it because now that it's not no longer as a kedusha, as an eligible korban, it's just regular meat and therefore permitted to be eaten by anybody, including these guys because they're, and they might be a kohen, so they're keeping it for themselves. And we apply the strictures, the chumras of both Kohanim and Yisraelim, to these two guys. Now, I thought we just finished detailing at great length all of those scenarios. So, the Gemara says, oh, there's one thing we haven't talked about here, which is um, the offering of menachos, a mincha, a meal offering. So, a typical meal offering, the way it's done is that you bring this, like, it's like, Think of it as like a pancake, whatever it is. There's different kinds, 11 different kinds of menachos. Um, but you bring this, you know, this, this pan, these pancakes as a carbon or whatever, meal, flour, and oil. And then an, a kamitza's amount, like, I'll call it a handful. If you don't, either you know, or you don't know, it's not our point right now. These three fingers width, the base of the volume of basically one finger that you take of your, your, you do a kamitza's amount out of the, the mincha out of the offering, and that is burned on the altar, kind of like the blood of an animal offering, um, and then the rest of it, the mincha is eaten by the kohanim. Now, in a scenario where a kohen himself is bringing a mincha, 
So the rule is that the mincha is not eaten. The Kohen brings the the mincha and it's entirely burned on the altar. So it's like it's gonna be like a, you know, a sacrifice, if you will. He's not getting a benefit of his own his own uh, offering. So we're saying here that if they, one of these guys bring a mincha, on the one hand, you must do a kamitza. You can't do the whole thing. The kamitza goes on the fire. But second of all, um, they can't eat it. What's left? Actually, what happens is since there's a drush from a pasuk, the pasuk has the actual word memenu. Um, so because of that, the Gemara learns once you've burned some of it on the altar, you can't burn the rest. So once a kamitza has been has been offered on the mizbeach, so then the rest of mincha can't be offered nor eaten in this case. Therefore, it's just put like in called the base adeshin. It's where it's burned, like in a special place outside of the not on the mizbeach because um, it's like can't be eaten and it can't it has to be treated properly. So that's what happens with that mincha. And that was the last clause that the Mishnah came to add.